Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the Hospital Finance Podcast. During the 30th anniversary forum of the Healthcare Executive Group, Healthcare executives from payer, provider, and healthcare technology organizations rank the top 10 challenges and opportunities that they believe healthcare organizations will face in 2019. To talk us through these issues, I'm joined by Ferris Taylor, Executive Director of the Healthcare Executive Group. Ferris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike, and uh, thank you to the listeners for taking the time to uh, let us discuss what uh, our membership, at least, has viewed as the top 10 issues. Um, uh, we're a national network of healthcare executives and thought leaders, as Mike said, celebrating our 30th year in working together to reshape healthcare. Uh, we interact regularly throughout the year across multiple channels, including uh, sessions like this, podcasts and webinars, uh, periodic uh, executive roundtables and white papers and blogs and newsletters, uh, and just finished our uh, 30th uh, anniversary annual forum in Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago. But by facilitating these uh, interactions, we provide a platform for networking and for industry-leading discussions. Obviously, you can uh, get more of the history from hcd.org at your convenience. Uh, uh, For this conversation, um, uh, throughout the year, Culminating in our annual forum, our members discuss and debate critical technology and innovation issues and priorities that we're all facing. And then at the end of our annual forum, we formally vote uh, on an HCG top 10 list for the next year. We've been doing that for 10 or 12 years. Uh, uh, Today, for this conversation, we'll focus on uh, the, the recently published uh, list of the 2019 issues, and we consider these to be critical factors for successful core systems change and, and for uh, technology improvements in moving healthcare forward. So thank you, Mike, and thank you to the listeners. Well, that's a, that's a great segue, uh, Ferris, and uh, obviously you've, you've kind of put this together into a, a nice uh, tight list of, of 10 items, and so let's start at the very top. Uh, issue that was identified, and that's data and analytics. What did the group have to say about that, and why did they identify that as uh, sort of number one on the list? Thank you, Mike. And and it's interesting uh, to provide a little bit of historical perspective. uh, Given the roots of our organization, going back to technology and innovation, obviously data and analytics has been uh, on the top of the list uh, uh, seven, eight times out of the last 10 years. But it's really been the last couple of three years that uh, the last last year it was the top of the list, and this year it's the top of the list. Uh, prior years it was down in the middle or towards the bottom of the list. And I think that there's there's a couple of three factors that are impacting that. Uh, three years ago, value-based uh, relationships, value-based uh, payments, which we'll talk about in a minute, were at the top of the list. And I, as I've listened in on the conversations and the discussions with our membership, uh, what's what's really come clear is that without the data and without the more sophisticated analytical capabilities around that data, we can't get the value-based reimbursement. We can't get the total population health improvement 
Um, and, and I think it's also supported, uh, Mike, by the fact that uh, data has become much more readily available. It's only been in the last seven or eight years, going back to the ARA funding, uh, creating uh, the real emphasis on electronic medical records and the data sets from a clinical point of view, as opposed to the administrative data that we've had, to be able to, to dig deeper into uh, the data that's available. It's also gotten uh, more complex with the realization that we've got to get beyond just the medical or the clinical data sets into what we commonly call those so social determinants of health, the, the non-medical data sets. And luckily, uh, computer technology has, uh, has expanded to make that more possible. So the last couple of years, this has been at the top of the list. And what we really hear our members saying is that leveraging that data, and especially the clinical data as it relates to uh, a core of your membership, your listeners, uh, the, that data set will, will then lead us to an ability to better manage the health of our patients and our, our health plan members and to drive individual and provider and payer decision-making in more effective ways across the industry. So, I, I, you know, that's a lengthy response, but this is one of the core challenges, and it's come clear to the top of the list the last couple of years for our membership, at least. Uh, it makes a lot of sense when you think about the um, enormous amount of healthcare data that's generated um, daily. Uh, there's there's so much to handle and, and so much in the way of uh, getting all that data to talk and uh, Interoperability, of course, is the term we've dealt with for a long time now. So um, I can see where that would be number one. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Ferris, number number two on the list, uh, total consumer health, which I think is a kind of a fascinating topic and, and related to number three, which we'll get to in a second. But tell us, tell us about total consumer health and what the group thought there. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad you pointed out that it relates to number three on population health. It also... We had a lot of discussion at our annual meeting, uh, and, and I, I uh, neglected to mention that uh, it's an annual process. All of our webinars lead up to this voting process, but at our annual meeting, we had small group roundtables where uh, six, eight people sat at a table with the list of, of 25 or 30 issues that we put in front of our, our membership to vote on, and they had these detailed discussions. There was also a lot of interplay between number two and number five in terms of the digital healthcare organization. And I think that those, those two do merge together. But uh, again, back to the, uh, the technology aspects of, of healthcare, um, there's an opportunity to have more engaged, more technology, uh, empowered and, and savvy consumers, patients and members, uh, to be able to uh, better uh, address at an individual level their medical and their social and their financial and their, their economic issues as it relates to their health and their population. And, and of course, we know uh, the mobile technology is out there, the digital technology. Uh, we, we've all been exposed the last few weeks to uh, the new Apple Watch and everything that it might do. Um, uh, there are pluses of that and there are, there are downsides of that in terms of overdiagnose or false positives that, uh, that can come there. But 
without a doubt, um, the the healthcare industry has has changed. And you know, for my 30 years in healthcare, the primary purchaser of healthcare uh, was the the employer. And and you and I and most of us. Uh, 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 sort of deferred to our employer the the decisions about our 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 health insurance plan, our network of providers, and and those things. Uh, I think uh, precipitated by uh, the technology, but also by the Affordable Care Act, uh, uh, the consumer has moved center stage, and uh, and that is the heart of this total consumer health, not. Uh, you as an individual, you're a patient of mine, and you're diabetic. It isn't that you're diabetic. You're a consumer. You're a, a human being. Uh, your health is part of your life, and uh, there's a realization on the part of our members that uh, our healthcare innovations need to fit into the life flow, uh, which I think is a key term of the consumer. It it isn't that they're diabetic. They're a father, they're a mother, they live in a community, they're a, uh, an employee of, of an organization, they, they, they want to have their life go forward, and there's a, a medical condition that they may need to deal with. Uh, but that needs to fit seamlessly into their day-to-day -day activities. And uh, there is a real opportunity with technology and with the data that we've discussed in the number one issue to be able to better meet, meet uh, uh, the consumer health issues and their overall uh, health and well-being. And that's, that's a real opportunity, I think, uh, for all of us in healthcare from the hospitals and the providers and the health plans and the consumers uh, all need to get engaged in improving health and, uh, and well-being. And we talked a, a little bit about that interplay between um, total consumer health and what's third on your list, population health services. So uh, break that down for us. Tell us um, what, what the, uh, the members were thinking about when they, they put population health services in there as, as number three and how, and how that might differ a little bit from, from what you just talked about. You know, it differs quite dramatically, uh, Mike, and I think, and, and I have some people I, I really need to thank uh, who have helped us as an organization, thought leaders around the country. Uh, really, the, the, the population health uh, topic came onto the top 10 list uh, here just uh, beginning last year. It's been on the, in the top three the last two years. And it started at our annual forum in Nashville a, a year ago uh, when we had Dr. Karen DeSalvo, Secretary of Health and Human Services, at our forum. And she related back to her experience with uh, uh, Hurricane Katrina in Houston. She was uh, with the Department of Health there. And of course, when, when everything was wiped out with the hurricane, Healthcare had to perform very differently. It became a total population question. And she started us thinking uh, about something broader than that narrow definition of, well, this is a medical condition. Uh, the other aspects don't, uh, don't uh, relate to healthcare. 
uh, in a disaster, everything relates and impacts healthcare. So we started thinking differently. Uh, we had an entire morning this year at our annual forum, starting with uh, uh, Dan Butner, the National Geographic uh, photographer that's traveled around the world, but he's 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 written a book on uh, blue zones of longevity, communities around the world where people uh, dramatically different than most communities uh, have a larger population that are over 100 years of age, and started dissecting what it was about those communities that may contribute to the longevity of, of the health and well-being of those communities. And, and as our members have listened and participated in that, I've seen a dramatic change in their thinking, and that is that um, there's, it's something more than a hospital or a physician or a health plan focusing on the medical conditions of their patients or their membership. It really needs to, uh, from a, an action-oriented and an operational point of view, start reaching out to community uh, activities and, and, uh, and services and approaches to, um, to, to lead to, to more healthy behaviors. We, we had a, a session specifically entitled Health, Health and Behavior Change at the Community Level. Simple things, infrastructure, uh, uh, bike lanes, uh, uh, trees along the street that encourage people to, to walk, to be out. Once again, fitting into the life flow of the population. And if you step back and think about it, if we get upstream from the medical conditions and start making it easier and fit into the life flow of, of the general population, and they become more healthy, then our medical costs and the amount of medical intervention that we have to provide actually will go down. So um, this, is a, this population health and services is, is an attempt on the part of our membership to start saying you need to, we need to broaden our perspective and work together with the provider community, identify what some of those other issues are that, if they're addressed, will impact the health and well-being of, of our membership. I think it's one of the most exciting areas, but again, as we've already talked, Mike, it doesn't happen if you don't have the data in a very broad sense of the data, the financial data and the social economic data and the transportation and housing and, and access to, to food, healthy uh, foods and like that. You can't bring all of that data together and put it into the hands of the provider when they have that opportunity to engage with the member. If the the health plan isn't actively uh, being a voice for health and well-being, then these things aren't going to happen. So uh, you're you're very correct. These these three top issues and and this fourth one that we'll talk about all. Uh, come together from a technology and a a new way of thinking about health and well-being in in healthcare. I would I would also say, Mike, and um, it was just a few months ago in a session that I had with an executive from D.C. that it clicked with me that we're spending three million dollar three trillion dollars of three point six trillion dollars in healthcare spend and 
there's another trillion or more dollars that are spent across 80 federal agencies and then community groups and uh, and uh, charity groups, uh, trillions of dollars that are being spent on housing and transportation and food and, and those basic things, but it's being spent totally without coordination. The opportunity is to bring all of those resources together at the community level to improve the uh, the health of the population. This is an exciting uh, number three topic, and uh, and I think all of us need to work better to together to make that uh, 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 more impactful in healthcare. Yeah, there's nothing on on the list of the top ten, um, uh, any anyone that's an outlier that doesn't interact with the other nine. I don't think they're all they all have to work together for uh, <laughs> for healthcare to move forward. And uh, you mentioned number four, which I you know I think is something that. Um, a lot of people, uh, particularly in the provider community, are, are, are concerned about. Some aren't necessarily uh, seeing the value uh, or can't envision what the value will be, and that's, that's value-based payments. So tell us what uh, was on the mind of your members around that. In many of our discussions uh, on this topic, uh, Mike, I mean, uh, we, uh, we call it VDR, value-based reimbursement, uh, uh, new models, new business models of, uh, of reimbursement and like that. But uh, what I heard from our membership and at the heart of this is value-based relationships. And I would also say that that value-based relationship extends beyond the payer and the provider relationship. If we don't put the consumer in the middle of that relationship as well, we're not going to move the needle. The, the, the most interesting thing to me, Mike, is that uh, starting in uh, uh, really 2014, uh, and, and you know, the history going back uh, 10 or 15 years, we had pay for performance and we had uh, different incentive programs uh, for providers and payers to, uh, to work more closely together. Uh, but, but things changed back in 2014, 2015, where I think the, we as an industry started saying there has to be a transition from the activity discounted fee-for-service uh, business model needs to transition to something more related to, to value or outcomes or results. And for uh, literally three years, 2015 through 2017, VBR was the number one uh, top ten issue. And, and then there was this realization that there's a number of fundamentals that need to take place before we can, uh, as payers and providers, make that transition to value-based uh, business models. Uh, and it, it ties to the three that we've already talked about, the data and the analytics. And, and you know, we have uh, HEDIS measures that NCQA and, uh, and JCO and others uh, uh, have us as health plans and providers report and, and analyze. But, but there's a very different set of measures that need to come together to, to really value and, and determine what the business relationship ought to be. So that transition to targeting uh, uh, more specific medical conditions and working together to actually address the crisis of uh, continuing escalating medical costs 
and 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 really focusing on the results, not the uh, the medical intervention in a, in, a, in intervention, but the total outcome with healthcare is a significant challenge. And it has been fascinating to me to see over the um, uh, the last uh, 10, 12 years, uh, value-based reimbursement has been on the list every single year. It's the one item that's consistently been there. But for you know the first five years or so, it was down at the bottom of the list. Something yeah we need to need to be working on. Over the last uh, four or five years, it's moved to the top of the list. Not at the very top this year, but for the reasons we discussed still a very critical issue, and it's a trans transition that I think uh, Medicare, Medicaid has at the federal level has recognized has to take place now. Uh, we as providers, as payers, as consumers uh, are saying we need to get on board and come up with those new business models that makes this work in a win-win-win way. We still have a long ways to go there. But again, technology, the, the computer capacity, and then the analytics, the, uh, you know, whether it's artificial intelligence or machine learning more specifically, and, and uh, other technologies will help us move the needle on, on value-based payments. Now, Ferris, number five on the list is um, what I would call a very big tent. It's the digital health organization. Tell us about that. This is a new, at least new verbiage. It's been a part of our discussions for um, uh, for the all of the years that I've been involved with the healthcare executive group, which is going back 13 or 14 years. Uh, obviously, the orientation of HCG is towards innovation and technology, and uh, we all know the explosion that's taken place in, in technology. But I think uh, this has come or at least been verbalized this year as uh, as a, a new issue, uh, but it's uh, not new in terms of its components, it's new in how we're putting them together. And really, uh, I think it's a recognition that uh, there's a new world out there from a digital point of view, and uh, patient portals, and uh, 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 cost transparency, pricing tools, and uh, wearables and all of the data that can be generated uh, at the patient level. Uh, more importantly, um, and like we've already mentioned uh, the Apple Watch, but uh, health monitoring uh, devices uh, and the fact that not every consumer, uh, patient, or every provider uh, or, or payer uh, wants to use exactly the same channel. The, the digital world has opened up the possibility for this, what we call omni-channel access and communication and engagement, where it becomes uh, in many ways uh, much more personalized. Uh, uh, not on the top 10, and I'll mention it now, uh, number 11 on our list, uh, uh, voted list this year was uh, personalized medicine. And, uh, and I, I know that's in the future, but probably not in 2019. But the digital organization is there, and that big umbrella is a, a key component of what uh, we need to be focused on as providers, as payers, and as consumers of healthcare and of health and well being. 
to improve our our overall health, but also to start addressing the uh, the cost side of healthcare. So, and and it impacts to some degree uh, access as well. Uh, you know, why can I not go online and schedule an appointment? And as you and I were talking earlier. Uh, know whether that provider is in network or out of network, and know what uh, where I'm at with my copay. Why is that not real time or close to real time? So for our HCG membership, with the infrastructure challenges, many of our members are CIOs or chief technology officers. Uh, they're they're recognizing now that. Uh, the technology side, the infrastructure side, needs to dramatically change to become a digitized digital health organization and an integrated delivery system or an interoperable uh, uh, healthcare system, as you mentioned earlier. And Ferris, number six is, um, well, it's actually reasonably straightforward, the concern over rising pharmacy costs. What were the thoughts there? And, and our challenge in, in, in pharmacy costs uh, uh, really have just been the last three or four years as we've seen the, uh, the escalation in specialty drugs, uh, the prices, uh, uh, the, the, the major and dramatic and wonderful uh, 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 impacts that pharmacy interventions are having uh, with, uh, uh, you know, uh, Harvani and uh, Sawaldi coming onto the marketplace and not just treating uh, a, a medical condition, but actually curing, doing away with a medical condition. But on the other side, the cost is a, is a major issue. And the, the discussions on this one, uh, Mike, is, has been really there's, there's multiple components of this. Um, and, and some of it is much more medical, medical intervention, uh, getting PBMs and drug manufacturers to, uh, and, and, and purchasers, payers, and providers to work more closely together. Uh, but our, our, our discussions have really, I think, been very constructive in looking at what is the, uh, what needs to take place down underneath the, this issue to provide better decision-making tools. Uh, again, uh, the, the data is not integrated, or if it is integrated, it's interpreted in very disparate, disparate ways and not well understood. Um, so what is it that, that we need to do, our membership needs to do to implement better strategies to address the growth of pharmacy costs. And at the same time, going back to the value-based payment to, uh, to, to recognize that there are benefits to quality of care and uh, to the total cost of care. We had a fascinating uh, uh, example presented at our annual forum this year uh, 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 Jory uh, Shoskin from uh, Medtronic shared how they're uh, doing value-based pricing with uh, uh, some of the uh, structures around the medical devices. And it really caused our group to start thinking differently about the data and the analytics that it's going to take, take to address uh, the growing pharmacy costs. Obviously, uh, pharmacy costs have moved into 
depending on what data you're looking at, uh, one of the major, if not the number one, uh, cost component of overall healthcare. So our our membership has recognized we need to work with the pharmacy companies, with the uh, uh, the data suppliers, with the providers, and with the health plans to uh, to get underneath the pharmacy data and better understand how to optimize uh, the the use of of drugs and uh, and and pharmaceutical interventions to improve overall cost at a uh, overall outcomes at a, a, a cost uh, reasonable uh, level. Uh, this one is a bit more of a challenge uh, for our group, but we had to recognize that we have a role there that we need to play. And, uh, and that's what our group was emphasizing with respect to the rising pharmacy costs. Ferris, over the, uh, definitely the past year, we've seen um, consumer brands or brands that, uh, you know, the average individual is, is probably more familiar with in the healthcare space, uh, making some noise. And so, uh, number seven on your list was external market disruption. Tell us about that. Brand new, never been on our list before, uh, Mike. And, uh, and I think part of it is, uh, as a healthcare industry, uh, and, and I'm 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 pointing to myself at, 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 I, as I say this, along with everybody else. Uh, we've sort of said we own healthcare. Healthcare is is our industry, and we own it. And I think this year, at, at, over the course of the entire year, as we've had our discussions, uh, uh, we're starting to recognize that there are uh, a lot of major companies with major resources uh, at their disposal in terms of, of uh, capital, cash, setting in the bank, uh, uh, profitability that are on the outside of healthcare looking in and saying, you know what, it can't be all that complicated. Within healthcare, we look at it and say, oh, you know, they don't understand how complicated it is. And we can, we can joke about... Uh, 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 President Trump's uh, comment that uh, who, who knew it was all that complicated, uh, and I'm not not devaluing devaluing the uh, the complicated the the complex issues of healthcare, but we need to recognize that first of all at the consumer level, they're using these other technology players. They they got Amazon Prime. They uh, you know, they go online, they uh, see something the next day or the next two days, it's on their, uh, on their doorstep. That, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, I, I, I have a question, I, I Google it, and, uh, and I get an answer to that question. Why can't that work the same way in healthcare? Now, I would also say, because this is a new issue in the top ten, Mike, that all of us need to recognize that this is not, this is not new. Uh, 10, 15 years ago or more, HealthVault, Microsoft, uh, who probably should also be on this list, uh, uh, got into the healthcare space with uh, uh, using their technology to integrate data and provide services. Google has been in and out of this space uh, multiple times over the years. But uh, I think our membership recognizes at this point that there are some serious 
and, and very capable technologies out there that could have major implications for healthcare. And we need to be looking at those, make the decision of whether we try to compete with those technologies or whether we partner with those technologies and, and move healthcare forward. I, I think it's, it's very easy to discount uh, the impact that uh, some of these players could have, but um, I've been for 25 years or more a friend and a colleague uh, of uh, Clayton Christensen's The Innovator's Dilemma and uh, actually participated with him in writing uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the Innovator's Prescription, which is his book on healthcare. And, and it's very clear that major disruptions in any industry usually come uh, from entities on the outside looking in, entities with their nose pressed to the window, as Clayton always says, uh, looking in. And they'll probably start with something that us in the industry will consider to be low quality uh, or a low cost uh, or or a technology that's really not complete. Uh, uh, yeah, the Apple Watch may not do everything or may complicate uh, uh, healthcare, but in fact, it starts out there in the, at that point, and at some point could become a major um, uh, change in healthcare. I think the disruption of these new entrants will not be uh, disruption oriented, they're simply looking at the healthcare and saying, it's not that complicated, I can solve that problem. It's starting with Amazon just saying, I, I know how to solve some of the supply chain things. Uh, their acquisition of pillbox. Um, you know, there's, there's something I can do a little bit better here. And as they do that a little bit better, then they will find other things they can do better. And we would be remiss as a, a payer and a provider community if we didn't put these external market uh, players onto a top issue and a top opportunity for all of us to look at. Uh, there's opportunity there. Uh, there's opportunity to partner if, uh, if we want to approach that. Uh, uh, you know, um, uh, this list is not complete as, as it's, uh, it's listed here on the top 10, Mike. Uh, we could all add to that list, but we need to be looking at those external players in a very different light than we've looked at them in the past. And that's the message that I think is behind number seven on the top 10. And number eight is a sort of a very internal facing, again, probably another very big tent topic, and that's operational effectiveness. This is an interesting one, Mike. It, uh, it's gone for three or four years without being on the top 10, whereas in the early years of my involvement with HCG and looking at the top 10, it was uh, actually back in 2012, it was the number one issue on the, the top 10 uh, list and, and was, was at the top in those early years, you know, in the, in the top half of the top 10. Uh, I actually think there's uh, an interesting interplay here that I'll share just a, a personal insight as I've listened to the discussions over the last year. And, and that relates to a, an issue that's not on the top 10 this year, uh, but was on the top uh, 10 last year. And that was uh, more the 
health reform and uh, and uh, what uh, from a regulatory point of view, uh, what might be impacting healthcare. That slipped off the top 10, which is interesting to me, but I think part of it is that we as an industry, and I hope it's the same uh, with the, with your typical listeners on the provider side, the hospital and the payer side, the uh, provider side, Mike, but I think we're coming to the conclusion that um, the, the, the divisive and disruptive political side of healthcare is not going to provide any solutions. Uh, the facts are that we all know, and and I think every single organization, every member uh, discussion that we've had around this, we know that there are things that we can be, do, each one of us can do, to bring more administrative efficiency to healthcare. And uh, rather than looking at the, uh, the chaos of the regulatory side or the uncertainty and the inability to predict where that might be going, there's something that we can all fundamentally be doing in terms of, uh, of uh, more uh, efficient uh, process efficiency, new business models, uh, uh, automation, robotics, artificial intelligence, uh, uh, revenue, revenue cycle management, the, the data and the technology, again, that's available, uh, that wasn't available four or five years ago, uh, is, is there now for us to bring efficiency and effectiveness to, to healthcare. Uh, earlier, before we started recording, you had mentioned, uh, you know, the need for real-time or near-time uh, uh, transactions in healthcare. The consumers expect it. The technology is there for us to be able to do that. And I think that's the reason that uh, after many years, this has moved back in, even though it's towards the bottom of the top 10, it's there for a very good reason. And I think it's a, a, almost a, a, a challenge that our membership has given themselves and is giving to the industry that every single one of us need to look at uh, our, our internal operations and ask that question, what can we do more efficiently? What can we do more effectively? Uh, and what can we do together that might dramatically change the overall cost of healthcare? So uh, this is an, an interesting one. It's, it, it was there for many at the, uh, at the top of the list, fell off during the healthcare reform and the Affordable Care Act and electronic health records and like that, and then this year it comes back onto the list, but I think with a, a new emphasis and a new perspective. Number nine on the list is um, certainly not a um, strange topic for, for anyone who's watching the news. It's, it's really a national crisis, and that's opioid management. I... Um, this is a, a personal crisis. I don't know if there's anyone across the country that hasn't been personally affected uh, with friends, uh, close relatives, uh, uh, that uh, for good, good reasons to start out uh, uh, with an injury or something like that, uh, uh, have indicate have ended up in in a in a crisis mode, and um, it it has not been again. It's uh, a uh, a brand new issue for our uh, our members.
membership, um, uh, and, and probably primarily because, again, we don't typically put on the HCB top 10 things where there isn't a, a technology or an infrastructure or a systems uh, solution uh, because of the orientation of our group. But um, there is a real focus across the entire healthcare stakeholder community uh, to work together to uh, address the opioid crisis. And, and it came onto the list this year uh, because of many discussions around different strategies for identifying and supporting individuals and, and to support the providers that are dealing in the moment with a patient uh, that is in need of a medical intervention, but to be able to have at their fingertips uh, a history and a perspective um, uh, to, to be able to best meet that, meet that individual's needs and to uh, provide uh, early warning systems in terms of recognizing where uh, this might be beginning to be a problem and creating interventions before it becomes uh, a, an, an opioid issue, um, identi identifying substance abuse, uh, addiction conditions uh, before they become critical, or even those identifying those populations that are at risk for uh, moving in the direction of, of addiction. Um, again, a topic that typically would have more of a medical and a clinical uh, component but I think it's, it's a recognition that this is a national crisis and from a technology, from a data and analytics and from a, a general infrastructure point of view, uh, we as an industry need to tap into uh, the new resources that we have available to help uh, contribute in some small way to opioid management. Um, uh, again, a little more difficult one, I think, for all of us to to step back and say, "Here's the silver bullet. Here's how to how to address this, and then work on implementation." This is more one where strategies need to be identified and and data sources brought together to uh, to help contribute to the uh, the solutions that need to come there. Um, without a doubt, as you said, Mike. Uh, critical topic, one that needs to be addressed. And our our membership perspective is, yes, we see a role that we need to play in that as well. And Ferris, the, the last item on the top 10 to round it off is cybersecurity. Again, certainly not a minor issue uh, for anyone that's managing uh, patient data particularly, which is really uh, the provider payer community we're talking about here. We could we could probably have a, a podcast uh, just on this topic alone, uh, Mike. Uh, I, I it it is interesting to me that it was not on the list at all or totally off. Uh, if it was on the list, it was one year. It was number ten in the top ten clear back in 2012. But uh, really, up until the last three or four years, was not on the HCG top ten list at all. Uh, I remember last year it was number six on the top ten list, and I had a, a, an interview with a reporter 
who uh, was really upset at the healthcare executive group because it was not the number one list, number one issue on the top ten list. And and you know I personally don't create the top ten list; it's our our membership that creates it. But but clearly, I think going back to uh, the the Anthem and Primera breaches, where you had 80 million and 20 million uh, medical records or membership records that were breached. But we see it every single day now where uh, data and information is being lost. We're starting to see uh, uh, multi-million dollar uh, uh, fines starting to get uh, uh, levied against uh, uh, management teams that are not taking this seriously. I, I think the, uh, uh, the conversations that I've heard is this has been discussed around our um, our forums, our executive roundtables, and our webinars, and like that, uh, and we have had webinars specific to uh, cybersecurity, is that healthcare needs to recognize that we're in a very different situation than the banking community. Uh, I've heard multiple times uh, the, the the finance community doesn't have a a, 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 a privacy and security, a cybersecurity. Uh, uh, solution. They have a remuneration solution. If a thousand dollars goes missing from your bank account, they put a thousand dollars back into your account. No harm, no file. Uh, you're secure. Uh, we can't put our medical information, our our healthcare information, back into the account. And if I look forward to things that I expect will. Uh, come onto the top uh, 10 list in the future with genetics, uh, genomics, and, and like that. If we don't address in a very different way the cybersecurity issues um, and, and do more than the rest of the industries that uh, we deal with uh, do with privacy and security, uh, we're going to have some real crises. Uh, I, I shared uh, with our membership uh, that here in Utah a few years ago we had a a baby born that was an opioid, uh, uh, heroin addicted baby. And of course, immediately the Department of Health and Human Services uh, was in the home. Uh, uh, the, the, the mother had three children in the home. Those children were removed from the home. There was only one problem, Mike, and that is that the mother of those three children was not the mother of that heroin addicted baby that was born in the hospital. It was medical identity theft. And for three months, those three children were not allowed in the home uh, until the DNA tests and everything proved that it was a, a, uh, a medical insurance identity fraud situation. Those, you know, how do you calculate the cost of that? If, uh, if there's something that, uh, uh, because of the lack of privacy and security uh, gets into my medical record that uh, my blood type is uh, somebody else's blood type and uh, I'm in an accident and unconscious and the medical record and the clinical data is all available going back to number one and uh, a blood transfusion is given and it's the wrong blood type. Uh, people's lives are at stake. So I think this topic, and it's been at the top of the list uh, the last uh, three or four years is one that uh, we may be getting tired of. Uh, we've heard from our membership, this is just table stakes, we need to do it. But it's more than table stake, stakes. Uh, 
we're putting our our medical information in the hands of consumers, patients, uh, with our patient portals, and and yet those those portals uh, uh, may be secure from an enterprise point of view, but when you put those portals uh, or that data out to the individual sitting at home on their personal computer, uh, 95, 98 percent of those personal computers have malware operating on them and that data is no longer secure. So this is, uh, it's number 10, it could be number one. I think we've had a great discussion of why uh, the others are, are, are above it on the list, but, uh, and I, I, uh, I, I was quoted in the press release that everything seems important, everything seems critical. Uh, this has been a great conversation about 10 critical issues uh, it's not to say that there are not other issues that are critical. I would put less emphasis on the ranking of this issues, these issues and more emphasis on the fact that we need in our organizations to be sure that we've talked about and have appropriate resources allocated and individuals and uh, uh, structure in place to be making actionable progress on each of these 10 issues, and cybersecurity is definitely one of those that needs to be addressed. Um, as I said, we could, we could spend a whole podcast on just this topic, and it might be interesting at some point in the future to do so. Thanks. Yeah, these are some uh, major issues and uh, very interesting conversation today. So, Ferris Taylor, thank you very much for joining us today on the Hospital Finance Podcast. My delight, and thank you, and thank each of your listeners for taking the time to let us discuss uh, the future of healthcare. We, we all need to work together to make it better, and we know that. So uh, upward and onward. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss on the Hospital Finance Podcast, or if you'd like to be a guest, drop us a line at update at Bessler.com. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.